often when we talk about the ministry of Jesus, we focus deeply on these last three years of Jesus' life, what we often call his public ministry, through his, from his first public miracle through his resurrection after death on the cross. And these are, of course, very important parts of the gospel. They teach us a lot about who we're called to be. But we also have to understand that Jesus spent the better part of 30 years preparing for those last three. And so as we enter a new year, we're beginning with an interesting task. We're walking through the early years of Jesus. Now last week, Pastor Jessica brought us through the historical context of Jesus' early years, and particularly his birth and some of the traditions around that. And today we get to focus on one particular moment recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Before we talk about Jesus, though, I want to talk about me, because I'm sure that is why you all came to church this morning. <laughs> now, as a young person, it probably surprises none of you that know me that I asked a lot of questions. And my parents would tell you that I probably asked too many, which they were probably right about. But I was curious. I was powerfully curious as a kid. Now, I would hear the adults around me say that children are to be seen but not heard, or that I was too young to understand, or inquire, why do I ask so many questions? To which I'd probably ask just another question. But the lesson that I was supposed to take away was clear, that asking questions, that being curious, this was not what I was supposed to do. This lesson was reinforced, particularly at church, where it felt like asking questions and trying to better understand was looked down upon at times. I was just supposed to accept what I was being told. I still remember one day in Sunday school being warned of the dangers of curiosity, reaching all the way back to Eve's curiosity that led to the fall of mankind, right? which as a seven-year-old is really scary. You stop being curious about curiosity. Now, I grew up in a church where the answers were with the older people and that there was no room to question or explore, that curiosity was seemingly the root of sin and could lead us down negative paths. And it always seemed to be associated with things going wrong. Right? The, the oft phrase used is curiosity killed the cat. But then I was also always told that we're called to be like Jesus. And that we should strive to be more like Jesus every day. Hence, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke 2, 41 through 52. Let us read it together. Now, it begins by saying that every year, Jesus' parent, parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus responds. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Then he went down to Nazareth and with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now I'm sure you can see why this is one of my favorite Bible stories as a kid and honestly remains one of my favorite today. See, this story empowered me. It encouraged me to keep asking questions, to keep being curious. For me, I was looking at 12-year-old Jesus and saying, I see me in him. Right? I, I see genuine curiosity. I see joining learning. I see the desire to really richly understand. Now, some of you may relate more to this comic than the story. And I'll give you a moment to read it. They're back by popular demand. I was told I'm not allowed to not do sermons with comics. Okay, with enough time to read that. But in Matthew 18, 2 through 4, we're told something from Jesus in his ministry uh, as an adult. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And then he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now that in context of Luke 2, 41 through 52, made me begin to wonder. I wonder if the people hearing Jesus say these words knew about the story of Jesus in the temple when he was 12. I wonder if when they were listening to those words, they thought back to that moment, if that had even started being something that people talked about. I wonder if that's why Luke included this one story, the only story about Jesus' adolescence, to help people understand what Jesus meant when he called us to change and become like little children lest we never enter the kingdom of God. I wonder if Jesus meant to capture the joy, the curiosity, the eagerness to understand, the desire to be filled with knowledge of who God is, if that's what Jesus meant all along. Because it seems like when we become adults, when we get older, we seem to stop pursuing new information. We are, if nothing else, afraid to ask questions for fear of looking stupid looking uneducated. I have often said and still hold, I get some of the most interesting questions when I do Sunday school here from our young kids who are unafraid to ask deep questions. And I think honestly this is sometimes exacerbated in Washington DC where seeming like you're an expert or know what you're talking about is currency. Now you don't need to raise your hand so you can be completely honest with yourself when I ask you this question. But how many of you in the last month have been in a situation where there was a word you didn't understand, or a reference to a book, or author, or movie, or theory that you didn't know, but you just went along with it anyways? <laughs> yeah, there are people who still raise their hands there. I, I, this is me. I have multiple. I could share an entire sermon about the times I do that. And I don't know why. Right? Like what, what makes us so driven to do that, so afraid to ask a question in that moment? 
how many of us probably could think of a moment in the last week, maybe even this weekend? And it's funny that we can be so afraid of being wrong or not knowing of something so trivial as that. And yet this 12-year-old is sitting, questioning, listening, challenging the elders of his faith. So the reality is that this is part of the powerful narrative of the gospel, a part of who we are as followers of Jesus and who we're called to be. See, we're called to spend time listening and learning. We're called to ask questions and to seek to understand. See, this is how we prepare for God's mission for us. Remember, this is Jesus' lead up to the ministry that we always focus on. This is how he is preparing himself for what God has called us to. He's asking questions, seeking to understand, exploring bigger, right? This isn't weakness, it's strength. Now I wanna first talk a bit about the context in which this event is occurring, so that then together we can explore the meaning for us and equally important, the impact on our day-to-day now. Now, what catches your eye about this story may be different depending on what part of life you are in right now. If you're a parent, you might have immediately felt for Mary and Joseph in this and identified with that horrible experience of not knowing where your kid is and maybe that anger at the fact that your kid ran away. You might feel that sink in your stomach, have instinctively even looked around for your child or flash back to a moment where your young one wandered off, remembering what that felt like. For our teachers in the room, you might have connected to that genuinely curious student. The one that asks questions, stays after class to better understand, seems to naturally be in her element in the classroom. And the hopes and aspirations you have for that person in the future. Maybe some of you, like me, were that kid when you were younger, asking too many questions, not quite understanding where you're not supposed to be, kind of pushing along anyways. Perhaps you're still that kid, even though you're in a PhD program now. And this just makes you feel justified or seen. Wherever you connected, it's important for us to understand the context in which Jesus is engaging in this moment. Because as I spoke about probably a little over a month ago, context matters in our interpretation of the Bible. So first, we're told in verse 41 that Jesus' parents went every year at the feast of the Passover. Now, to the audience hearing this from Luke, this would have been, and they would have been much more enmeshed in the Jewish custom, this would have signaled a lot about the piety of Jesus' family. See, Jewish tradition would have required only Jewish men who lived within 20 miles to come every year. And for those of you who are not good in geography, right, Nazareth is about 60 miles away from Jerusalem. Women and men outside that radius, or women at all, were were allowed to come but not required, and men outside that radius were allowed but not required to attend as well. So the fact that Joseph and Mary take this pilgrimage with Jesus every year is exceptional, signals deep piety. And what's important is to remember, right, we think 60 miles, and that's, well, if you're in D.C., it's like a 10-hour drive. If you're outside D.C., it's like an hour. (laughs) But nonetheless, they're walking, right? So that means that they're walking 60 miles, which on a good pace is at least three days walk. That's the dedication they're giving every year to go to Jerusalem for this. And they're traveling with a child, which if any of you have children know how difficult that is even for a couple feet, much less for 60 miles. Second, 
We're told in verse 42 that Jesus was 12 years old. This signals a lot to us, because in Jewish tradition, that means he's still a boy. In fact, throughout the passage, you see him referred to as the boy Jesus. Right? You don't see later on them saying adult Jesus, right? but we get a very particular title here. It's to indicate that Jesus is not considered a man here, and therefore does not have authority or stature in his tradition at this point. He's just a kid. And, and even then, you can imagine this idea of you know, where Mary and Joseph feel this 12-year-old boy from this small Galilean town in a huge city, Jerusalem, all by himself. And you can understand why they were a bit anxious when they couldn't find him. It tells us of how Jesus would have been viewed by those he was talking to, discussing with. Not yet a man, he would have had no authority, no stature based on his identity. But he would not have been expected to have understanding to be able to offer anything to the conversation. Third, I just want to talk a bit about how Jesus was likely to get lost for those parents that are concerned that Mary and Joseph may not have been the best role models, right? When Joseph and Mary were returning, they were traveling with a large group. And as custom goes, men usually walked with men, women with women, and the kids were hanging out and playing in the back. So it's very likely that Joseph and Mary assumed that Jesus was with the kids. And when they went and checked on him a day after a journey, which again is about 20 miles, they realized he wasn't there and immediately walked back. Could you imagine walking back after 20 miles? I mean, I think it's a little bit like Home Alone, but I honestly think those parents were much less responsible. <laughs> but we see that it's clear in how concerned Mary and Joseph were. In verse 45, when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And in verse 48, we learn that when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Again, I'm sure anyone who has taught kids, watched kids, had kids, think back to that moment where they did something, you're like, why did you do that to me? Right? That's, that's really what Mary is saying. Like, why would you do this to me? And she says, your father and I were anxiously looking for you. And anxious probably doesn't even cover how Mary and Joseph felt in that moment. And then we read Jesus' response, which some of us might read as, frankly, a bit dismissive. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's within this context where we can seek to understand what we are meant to learn from this narrative. And we know that this passage is meant to have meaning for us. It's the only story included in any of the four Gospels covering Jesus' adolescence. Luke thought that this was important for his readers to understand, for us to hear in order to understand the person of Jesus. First, and perhaps most obvious, we learn that we're called to spend time listening and learning. In verse 46, we are told that Jesus was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus is seeking to understand from the Jewish leaders. It's important to note that he is not just listening. He's also asking questions. Jesus does not take what is being said and only listen to it. He's curious about what lies behind the statement. He asks of his Jewish leaders. And he's not afraid to do so even though he's just 12. He's not afraid to question, to speak up, even though society doesn't even see him as an adult. And second, 
He's not just asking, he's also listening. This also seems unusual in this time. Sometimes we find ourselves in conversation trying to one-up someone through questions. And our questions are really some form of gotcha statements with little question marks at the end, rather than any genuine effort to seek to understand. What is important to understand about the child Jesus here, this 12-year-old, is that he is not just asking, he's seeking to understand genuinely. And in the reverse, he's not just taking things face value and not trying to dig deeper, he's digging deeper as well. Third, we are meant to understand the importance of what Jesus is dedicating himself to. Now remember, this focus of this sermon series is really about that lead up to public ministry, how Jesus was preparing himself for the mission that God called him to. In the same way, we're looking at what we can glean as individuals as we learn and grow and push ourselves to be spiritually growing with God. And it's important when we think about the context, right? Jesus is, is steeped in his religious tradition. He's seeking to better understand, to push beyond, not to challenge or to upset, but rather to genuinely understand the faith that he, he's called to. Now, this is where tone matters. I think one of the hardest parts about the Bible is that very rarely does it tell us what tone we're supposed to read in, right? It could be sarcastic. It could be angry. It could be joyfully. Um, every once in a while, we get little words where it's like, God was angry and said, and you're like, okay, well, God was angry there. But often, we don't get those tone markers. Uh, and in verse 49, we read Jesus' response to his worried parents, where he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And some of us may read this as dismissive, snippy, perhaps even rude. Right? His parents just traveled probably an extra three-day journey to find him because he did not go when he was told to go. And his friends was like, well, why were you looking for me in the first place? Well, because you're 12 <laughs> and you're not with us. Like, this is why we're looking for you. We're scared. We're anxious. We told you that. And if you've had any experience with 12-year-olds, it's honestly hard to think of any tone that's not improper in this. <laughs> but we can take uh, two solaces. First, if we look forward to verse 51, we see that Jesus obediently followed his parents home. But the second is when we look at the Greek here, there's an interesting word used, and it may provide a different tone, one of perhaps genuine astonishment that his parents were worried. Because when he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? The Greek word there is day, right? That it is necessary. And it has an implication of a godly requirement. Right? He's basically telling his earthly parents that didn't you know this is where I was required to be at this moment? That nowhere else in the world would be right for me to be but this place right now. And Jesus will use that word repeatedly to reflect the obligations imposed by his mission. Right? In Luke, we see several examples. In Luke 4, 43, we see Jesus say, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? I need to, it is necessary, it is a godly requirement for me to preach the good news of the kingdom. He also says in Luke 9.22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. It is necessary for me to suffer many things. It is a godly requirement for my mission. I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day. And in Luke 17.25, we see, but first I must suffer many things. Right? This same word is used throughout 
Jesus' ministry to indicate a particular need, a godly requirement on his mission, because at even 12 years old, Jesus knew what he was called to. He knew who he was, and he wasn't afraid to assert his worth or his purpose just because of his age and just because others had lower expectations for him. And this is where I think we can take something away. See, what's important about diving into scripture is understanding how it impacts our lives today. And the reality is we can learn a lot from a 12-year-old here. First, rather than being afraid of questions, we should embrace them. This may feel to some a bit counter to the culture of church experiences. Sometimes questions are labeled doubt, and doubt is labeled sin, and sin equates to shame and weakness. But Jesus, both 12-year-old Jesus and 30-plus-year-old Jesus, teaches us that questions are part of walking with him. They are part of our calling in Christ. So challenge yourself to ask boldly. If I'm honest with you all, I think that sometimes the church discourages questions because it's afraid that they might not have the answers. But for me, one of the most important parts of my faith, one of the reasons I'm so confident in who Jesus is, is because I had space to ask questions and to seek answers. I'm sure I've shared this in a sermon before, but for those of you who might be new or who just weren't listening that time, may come up again, so feel free not to listen this time, I guess, as well. But I, I, in many ways, raised myself in church. So my parents didn't go to church, but for some reason, six-year-old me was like, I should do that. That's a good idea. So I walked myself to a church down the street. Sometimes my parents dropped me off, and I sat in church with people that were at least 50 years older than me. I think the youngest other person other than six-year-old me was probably 55 to 60. And, and it was an old Baptist church down the road. When I reached high school, there came a time when I began asking bigger questions of my faith. I was wondering whether I attended church because it was a pattern or a convenience for me, or because I really believed. And so, in my sophomore year, I decided to enroll in a city college class to read a bunch of different pieces of sacred literature. I read the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Talmud, a bunch of other stuff. This is how I learn, it's just reading. Right? I asked questions about the historicity of the Bible. I sought to understand what living this faith would look like for me and what that implications had on my life. And I really dived in and asked questions that I thought if my church knew I was asking, they would like send me out and never want me back. But I felt a deep need in my soul to really seek to understand who God was and what that meant for my life. And ultimately, these bigger questions, this opportunity to sharpen my faith, made me stronger, because I built a faith that wasn't built on a fear of when I ended up where I would be, but instead on a hope for what God had for my life in the present and for this world, and what that could look like. See, while some people seem to fear that if we ask questions, if we're curious, we will be led away, I'm confident of quite the opposite. See, our God is big enough. Our faith is powerful enough. The gospel is grand enough to be sharpened and honed when we ask questions, when we seek to understand. So actually why I'm glad that conveniently this sermon ended up on a day that Josh will be talking about dinner parties. Because these small groups and other small groups like Alpha or our LGBT affinity group, they're all spaces 
where we're, that are made to ask questions. Right? They're made to be curious with each other, made to sharpen faith together, made to grow. So I hope as you enter the new year, if you haven't already connected to one of these groups where you have that space, that you do, that you listen carefully, carefully to what Josh is saying. And whether you're already in a group or just gonna join one now, I encourage you to take risks, to feel okay not knowing and asking, to feel okay not agreeing and sharing, to feel okay just asking what's on your heart, seeking, uh, seeking to understand better. And there's an important caveat here. If we are going to ask questions in order to be able to grow and learn, we also need to practice listening. I know, difficult. That can also be quite counterintuitive in today's culture. But the only way we grow in faith, the only way we can learn, is if we're open to learning. If we're actually open to hearing something. See, the danger in asking questions is not in asking the question itself. It's in the hubris of an unwillingness to be open to the idea that we have more to learn. This is something where I think the church as an institution can also miss the mark. See, as churches, we want to be able to say that we have all the answers. And if you didn't know, we don't. And frankly, I freely admit I am confident that part of my theological thinking is wrong. I don't know which part yet, and if I did, I would change it. <laughs> but I am not arrogant enough to believe, nor do I have the audacity to claim that I fully understand God and all that God is. And anyone who says otherwise is just wrong. And that's okay. Right? Because I think that part of our calling as followers of Jesus is to do our best to understand the gospel message as fully as we can and to live it out in earnestness. But what is important is that even God incarnate asked questions and listened to the answers. Now this story very well could have been that 12-year-old Jesus stood up and lectured the Pharisees and Sadducees and told them all the ways that they were doing it wrong. I mean, it's God incarnate. 12-year-old Jesus could have done that. But instead, it shows Jesus taking a learning posture, sitting and asking questions and engaging in discussion. It shows Jesus as relational, not authoritative, even though he had all the answers anyways. Now, if even Jesus finds value in listening and learning, I think we can as well. Finally, I don't want us to miss the importance of Jesus' social stature at this moment. Merely a boy, no real value to society yet. Because our, our purpose and value is inherent. It's already recognized by Jesus. It's not something that we need to earn or something that we must be given by another person. And here's why that's important. Too often, People try and exclude others. And too often, when I talk to people about the idea of, of following their calling, they're like, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't know enough yet. I'm not sure yet. I'm not prepared yet. Whatever phrase you want to say, it's that I'm, not, I'm afraid that I'm not ready to be in that space. But even though we try to limit who is welcome in spaces, it's actually a result of human brokenness, not God's divinity, right? It's because we as humans try and consolidate authority and power. But Jesus, 
both Jesus as a 12-year-old boy who took a seat where he knew he was not welcome, and Jesus as a 33-year-old, give or take a couple years, depending on your historicity, old man hanging on the cross, tearing through the temple veil in his dying breath. See, Jesus, at every part of his life, was all about tearing down barriers. He was about not accepting the definitions that others attempted to lay upon him, and instead living into the mission and calling God had for his life. So too are we called to break down these barriers. We all may have different barriers that we need to break down, different experiences that have told us that we are not welcome to take a seat, not welcome to ask our questions, that we're too young, that our skin is too dark, that we're too eccentric, that we're too damaged. But the gospel message is one that says we are never too far away, that we are never too anything for God, and instead that we are made in his image. 12-year-old Jesus was brave enough to take his seat and did so with authority. Where is God calling you to take your seat? Where is God pushing you to be present? And what barriers are you allowing to get in the way? Because I promise you that those barriers are constructed by people. But Jesus is telling us, showing us, that we are meant to tear them down. So as we think about Jesus' life in adolescence, as we think about how we prepare for the mission God has for us, we should ask questions boldly, we should listen genuinely, and we should live into the mission God has for our life confidently. And the next time someone tells you that you ask too many questions, tell them that you're just trying to be more like Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. God, we... Thank you that you are a God that models for us what it looks like to follow you. We thank you that you are a God that has built us and designed us to be curious. The God that is not afraid of questions, both asking them and hearing them. We thank you that you have provided us with guidance on who you are calling to be. And we pray that in these moments, as we start this new year, God, that you provide a new and fresh spirit on us. God, that you are present in our life, that you push us to who you are calling us to be. And God, that you move everything out of the way that's blocking us, that you help us tear down whatever barriers are stopping us in this moment from fully claiming our identity in you, God. That you just move those out of the way so that we can see the hope you have for us the hope you are calling us to live into. In your name we pray. Amen.